Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a podcast where we have candid conversations in hopes to break mental health stigmas and normalize speaking up about our mental health. Through this podcast, we will connect you to a diverse range of folks from all around the world who have struggled with their mental health, but have learned to weather through the storm. By listening to their stories, you may begin to feel empowered, less alone, and you may discover new ways that will help you navigate through your own mental health struggles. So sit back, relax, and remember, everyone's story matters. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. Joining me today, I have Deanna Harry, and I actually found her on social media. We connected and she does TikToks all about psychology and relationships and mental health. And so we are collaborating today to talk about some fun things, some interesting things. I don't know, fun, but definitely interesting. So (laughs) welcome. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. I'm really excited because I found your, or we found each other. I honestly don't know who found who, but regardless, we got connected and I started watching your videos and I was really impressed. And I'm fascinated by psychology. Obviously, that's one of the reasons why I started a mental health podcast. But the topics that you talk about and you share with your audience are so different and interesting and educational. And I saw one of your videos a few weeks ago, and it was about toxic relationships and how people, I wouldn't say get addicted, but they just get used to being treated that way, I guess, honestly, and kind of fall into that cycle. So I'm really curious to hear more about that and have you speak on that today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely a fun, light little topic. Just a light little topic. But I mean, you know, everyone struggles with relationships, whether it's friendships that are toxic or family members. It doesn't have to be like a romantic partner. Um, But before we dive into that, I kind of want the audience to get to know you. So do you want to explain a little bit about your background in the clinical realm in psychology and mental health? So yeah, I'm a postmaster's therapist. I got my master's in 2020, so I'm still kind of a bit new, and I worked at kind of more of a private practice back in New Jersey, and when I moved here to Nashville, I'm now in the school setting, but still doing the same thing, you know, just mental health counseling, and I specialize in trauma. I have like kind of a light version that I tell people about (laughs) how I got to the field, and then I have, you know, kind of the real version. They're both true, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'll tell you both. I started as a middle school teacher when I was 22. I worked at a charter school with no license, but charter schools in New York are allowed to hire a certain amount of people without licensure because they get private funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just kind of um, became really close with my students and I started to become kind of their confidant and the person that they would go to for their mental health needs, or, you know, if they were having a bad day or in a fight with a friend, you know, lighter topics to 
um, you know, their family getting evicted and, you know, sexual assault. And, and I just really realized that I loved that. I loved being able to be there for someone to be someone's safe space. Um, and my classes ended up kind of becoming mostly just that, you know, students pulling me out into the hallway and wanting to talk and things like that. Um, and even they would say, Miss D, you should be a therapist. You're too soft to be a teacher. (laughs) You make a good point. (laughs) Uh, And they were totally right. And I really just cared much more about their mental health than I did about the subject matter that I was Mm. teaching. You know, I started grad school and yeah, I do think that I kind of have always had the therapist personality as well. Just, you know, active listening, being non-judgmental, unconditional positive regard and things like that. But yeah, that's like the light version that I tell people. Um, The real version is kind of more just, I was a very sensitive, very existential child. And I, you know, did have undiagnosed mental illness. And um, then I just was kind of hurt and abused like over and over. And I just had nobody to talk about it. No counselor or therapist or teacher or just any adult that I felt like I could talk to and not be judged. And I think about how different my life would have been if I had that one person that could see me and hear me and make me feel safe and somebody who just knew the real me and still accepted me for who I was. Um, I really think that that would have made all the difference. And then, you know, when I was in my 20s, early 20s, a lot of soul searching, kind of that psychosocial crisis of, identity versus role confusion like who am I supposed to be what am I supposed to do yeah that's kind of when I decided that I wanted to become the person that I needed growing up yeah and I did that's amazing I love that you were able to be there for them because again like when we're that age we're growing and we're learning and we're going through so much and it can be so confusing and so difficult and all the trauma that the adults in their lives refuse to face and heal and acknowledge is just projected onto them and they're like okay what the fuck am I supposed to do with this now (laughs) like what do I do and they lash out they it just it disrupts their lives in so many different ways and it's so unfortunate and the fact that there aren't support systems already like in the schools I mean there might be some but just the fact that you were able to be that someone for so many of those kids is so awesome. And then it led to you figuring out, holy shit, like this is, this is actually what I want to do for a living. Like this is my purpose. Yeah. How has that changed since you have started school, finished school and are now in the field? Like how have you been able to deal with that and navigate this profession with your own mental health? I, it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. And I, I do think that actually a client of mine had asked once, is there a part of this that's healing for you, you know, mm. to help people with their mental health? And I said, yes, absolutely. And it is, it's very healing to be able to, you know, help others and, you know, be that person that you needed growing up or, you know, whether you're dealing with children or adults, I think that it also sometimes when you're helping others and you have, you're carrying other people's trauma, I think it sometimes makes it almost easier to not deal with your own stuff. 
Mm. So I definitely ran into a lot of that, just not really thinking about myself at all and kind of burying myself in other people's problems, kind of over-identifying with the role of being a therapist. I think part of that too is if you're a mental health professional, I think that people assume that you have perfect mental health, like you have it all figured out. And I liked people thinking that about me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't want anybody to know. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's definitely a lot of that. Also, I think having a job that mattered, I'm like, oh, I'm a therapist. I matter. If I'm not a therapist, I don't matter. So mm. people need to know right away that I'm a therapist. I definitely kind of over-identified with the role at first. And I also had very bad boundaries, especially mm. when I was at the private practice. But that was really hard to navigate, you know, just realizing that I'm not on call, that I can't force anybody to do the work. I can't even technically keep people alive and I can't fix anybody. Mm. It's not about that. It's helping someone learn how to heal themselves. I'm not myself a healer exactly. So yeah, that was really hard. And then of course we all get triggered sometimes when we're dealing with an issue that we ourselves have had or still have. Sometimes you know, you're dealing with something that is more of a scar, you know, like if you're talking to someone who had a similar childhood to you and, you know, you've done all the work and all that, you can use your own experience to help them. But sometimes you're also coming at it from a wound, a wound that's still there, that's still fresh. And that makes it hard to help someone else with their problem when you yourself haven't been able to deal with it yet. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine. I think what you said is so true. And it's it's amazing that people in this field are able to compartmentalize at some point. Yeah. Because it's so hard. I feel like a lot of people that are therapists, and not everyone, are tend to be more on the empathic side. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's exactly kind of what started to take over for you was the feelings got kind of mixed up and then you started to take care of yourself less and try to focus more on them. And I feel like so many people struggle with that, regardless if you're a therapist or just an individual who likes to help other people, likes to help your friends or your family members. You just end up taking care of everyone else and then neglecting yourself. And then it's like, well, how am I supposed to keep taking care of other people? (laughs) And I can't even take care of myself. So Thank you for being open and transparent about that, because I I also want people to recognize that, like you said, therapists and mental health professionals, they they're just human beings. Yeah. Like we have to take them off that pedestal because they struggle too. I've had so many therapists on the show that come on and they're like, I have a therapist too. (laughs) Like (laughs) therapists see therapists. It's an ongoing thing. People just have to have their support systems and therapists are no different. So you mentioned just a moment ago, are you working in school? So are you doing school counseling right now? Yeah. So I'm a therapist out of school. So, you know, they, we have school counselors. We definitely are in a well-funded area. So we're able to have school counselors for every level. Yeah. Which is cool. Really cool. And then we have a school wide counselor. And they do more academic stuff, maybe some of the lighter 
uh, mental health stuff. And then I do kind of the heavier mental health stuff, crisis, all of that. Wow. So students can come to you at like at any point during the day, do they have to make an appointment with you and then they can come and basically have a therapy session? How does that work exactly? Yeah. I mean, it's both. So, you know, there are kids that I see consistently. We have our time every week. Um, We have uh, this program called Schoology where you can message each other. Hmm. So a lot of times they'll message and say, can I see you today? And then sometimes they just come by my office and yeah, they can just walk in unless, you know, I'm in a session Mm -hmm. and then I'll catch up with them later. I really do like that system because there's just a lot more freedom in that. Whereas at the private practice, you know, it was same thing every day. You know, you see same client on the same day every week. And then, you know, traditionally you don't really talk in between. Whereas a lot of times when something happens, you really want somebody to be there for you in that moment. So I'm happy that I can do that in this setting. I never even really thought about it like that again, because I'm not in the field. I'm in therapy, but I never thought about the fact that if you have a student counselor or a student therapist, they can come to you almost like whenever they need you to a certain extent. And you're right. When someone is seeing you in a private practice or when they have to like schedule stuff, it's like so much happens in between then you can't really keep up with it. Like in the moment, if that makes sense, like what you kind of just said, and I can't imagine how much of a difference that actually makes for those students to be able to come to you. Like if something happens that morning or and then like they can see you throughout the week. So, you know, they can kind of just keep that rapport and that like relationship building instead of it be- kind of being like, stop and go, stop and go. Right. I also think that helps build trust with those students too. Cause that's a huge, huge thing with, with kids is like, if they feel like they don't have trust in you, then it's going to be harder for them to open up. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Trust is a huge one. Um, and I think that kids can be even more reluctant to trust than adults are you know when adult an adult goes to therapy you know they know what they're doing they're there to do the work they're paying out of their own pocket a lot of the times whereas kids it's not always their choice Mm -hmm. to come to therapy they don't always want to do the work and a lot of kids just don't trust adults they see all adults as authority figures and a lot of you know these kids are being emotionally abused by their parents, by coaches, teachers, you can be emotionally abused by anyone, their friends, especially relationships, you know, so they're kind of like, okay, well, why is this woman any different? You know, she's just gonna take what I say and use it against me just like everyone else has. So Mm. it takes a little bit longer to build rapport and establish trust. And I don't expect anybody to just trust me right off the bat. Because I wouldn't, if I was their age, I didn't trust anybody. (laughs) It happens just all in time. Yeah. Well, we started talking about trust and relationships, which kind of brings us to our next evolution of this conversation, which, I mean, I ideally was hoping to talk about romantic relationships, but honestly, now that we're talking about your profession, I think it might actually be more important to shift this conversation to relationships and trust with adults and children and how important that dynamic is and how toxic that can be Mm -hmm. and how harmful that can be because it's just this ongoing vicious toxic cycle that creates generational trauma 
And it might seem like a bubble to those individuals and like it's not harming anyone else, but honestly, it harms like us as as a collective, truly. Because if you're not healing your generational trauma as an adult and then you have children, and again, like we mentioned earlier, you project it onto them, it's this whole (laughs) influx of new issues with this new generation. So when a child is dealing with an emotionally abusive adult, what are some tips that the adolescent could utilize to help them through that situation? And then also too, I kind of want to talk about the other perspective from like the adult side too. Yeah, well, it's really hard when you're a kid because you don't have a lot of autonomy. And also I think that all emotional abuse kind of goes hand in hand because you're emotionally abused by your parents as a child. And then anytime you're emotionally abused, usually you end up emotionally abusing yourself. Mm-hmm. You decide, you know, that you're only worthy of this amount of love and that you deserve this amount of pain. So usually they do end up in toxic relationships whether it's friendships, romantic relationships are, of course, you know, what I see the most. And I think what can do the most damage, but, you know, that becomes a cycle and then find the same type of person over and over again. A lot of those people tend to emotionally abuse you in ways that are similar to the way that your parent abused you. And that's just kind of the norm for you because that's what you grew up with. So you don't recognize that it's, not right and that you don't deserve that you know and then you're emotionally abused in your relationship again that's the norm for you so a lot of times your behavior is going to become emotionally abusive as well when you have your own children and then the cycle just continues they're emotionally abused get into emotionally abusive relationships have kids and emotionally abuse them because that is the pattern that's been created in your brain so your brain loves pattern your unconscious mind wants to repeat whatever happened in childhood it's going to try to repeat that in adulthood and that's why it's so important you know I have a lot of kids that are like oh you know I'm 13 I know that this doesn't matter or whatever probably something that their parents have told them and I'm like no it absolutely matters because I am still trying to deal with shit that happened when I was 13 and the way that I was treated when I was 13 The younger you are, I think the easier it is to create internalized beliefs, which are the beliefs that we have about ourselves, the worst beliefs that we have about ourselves that were instilled in us by somebody else because of emotional abuse. That's where a lot of our insecurities come from. Your mom watching everything that you ate or, you know, something like that, or the boy in school that picked on you, you know, those are the things that last with us into adulthood and cause a lot of our insecurities. All those subconscious things that get tucked away that happened to us. And like that child said to you, like, I don't think this is going to matter, but what they don't realize is that's being tucked away in their subconscious and it's going to show up later in adulthood. And they're going to be like, well, (laughs) I guess it mattered. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so that actually makes total sense when you say that 
our brains are just basically accustomed and used to seeing certain things over and over again. So it's like, obviously that's what it's going to default to. And if we have parents or an adult figure within our lives that helped raise us that are constantly showing us toxic patterns, negative behaviors, abusing us in some way, namely emotionally, that's going to make sense and show up in the way that we treat others and how we have relationships growing up as adults. And like you said, with friendships or romantically, it's just like kind of what we end up being drawn to. So obviously therapy is a good way to start breaking that cycle. Having student counselors or therapists in school is a good way to break that cycle. But what are some other ways that are useful for folks who might find themselves continuously repeating those patterns, whether it be with friendships or relationships so that they can start to break out of that cycle? Well, I think that one of the biggest ways is kind of bringing the unconscious to the conscious. So realizing, okay, these are my insecurities. These are the worst beliefs that I have about myself. Where did they come from? When was the first time that I felt this? Then go back even further. Who was the first person that said this to me or behaved in a way to make me believe that this is true? So, you know, it goes back. And a lot of times it goes back to when we were really, really young. And then you kind of say, okay, that's when the belief was established. Now, is this belief actually true? Is there substantial evidence to back up this belief? Or is this just something that was instilled upon me by somebody else, by somebody who hurt me and was intentionally trying to hurt me, intentionally abusing me? And then use that and challenge it every single time it comes up. So, you know, if it's a belief, like I'm ugly, when was the first time that I felt that way? When was the first time that I heard it? Who behaved in a way that made me believe that I was ugly and that I would never be anything other and then challenging it every time. Like, that's not my belief because it's not even ours. It's the person who instilled it in us. And it's really hard, I'm not going to lie, because you have to be mindful of every single insecurity and you have to keep identifying it and keep going over it. A lot of people don't want to do that. And I understand why. And it's not fair that we have to do the work. We've been abused and now we have to do the work. So I understand why people don't want to. You shouldn't be having to pay the price for someone else's actions. But unfortunately... So is life. Yeah, that's a huge way. It's just challenging those internalized beliefs, recognizing where they come from. And then also recognizing emotional abuse when it's happening. And I think that that is a huge thing. Emotional abuse is the number one thing that I see in my work, whether it's with kids or adults. Of course, I've had training on the subject and everything like that and dealt with a lot of cases. But I'm also a survivor of abuse myself, kind of every type of abuse, but the emotional abuse really is what has always stuck with me. And that's where a lot of my insecurities came from, this like obsessive need to prove to myself that I matter, because that at its core is what emotional abuse is. Somebody 
making you truly believe that you don't matter, you know, that you're worthless and intentionally doing it. And I think that it's not taken seriously. It's definitely not, you know, taken as seriously as physical abuse. It can be really easy to hide, really easy to make excuses for. And it just enables people to keep doing it over and over. And so many people have asked me, have I been emotionally abused? Can you tell me if this qualifies as emotional abuse? Um, so I do think that that's important to just talk about what emotional abuse is, like what constitutes as emotional abuse technically. It is a newer term, I will say. So there has been enough research yet on just everything to do with it. There's definitely a lot more that's coming. But emotional abuse is essentially someone intentionally, repeatedly putting you down, insulting you, humiliating you, controlling you, et cetera. Um, and uh, I think that it's a big thing of people wondering like, okay, well, I was hurt in this relationship. Does that mean that I was emotionally abused? A lot of times the answer is yes. But like I said, it does have to be repeatedly and it most of the time does have to be intentionally. So for example, if somebody is in a relationship and someone cheats, um, you know, and it, it wasn't their intention to hurt anybody and, you know, stuff that's not technically emotional abuse because their intention wasn't to hurt them. You know, they're not intentionally humiliating them or something like that. But being in a relationship and constantly putting the person down, constantly, you know, making digs about the way that they look or the way that they act, controlling what someone does with their finances or controlling someone with your finances, just manipulating someone gaslighting someone, which means making them feel that their reality is not reality and so on. The The list does go on and on. Uh, another big thing, I've never dealt with this, but just like the constant jealousy, constant having ownership of somebody. Yeah, and the controlling behavior is big, but I think what I have seen the most effects from are people who are emotionally abused and they were constantly insulted and humiliated. That's where I've seen kind of the worst insecurities come from. Yeah, there's so much that comes with that. It's so incredibly complicated. And you would think like comparing the two, like physical abuse with emotional abuse, most people would be like, well, physical abuse is horrible. Like mm -hmm. it's absolutely terrible. And it does create trauma, but the, the emotional abuse is almost just as bad because it creates, I feel like double the trauma Yeah, because there's so many different ways you can traumatize someone emotionally, like with those comments over and over and over, like you said, repetition, our brain picks up on that immediately yeah. and it all gets stored away and then it builds up over time. And then it's just this like huge issue that we have and it's so scary to think that there are so many people out there in relationships like that or that have friendships or that have parents that treat them like that all because they refuse to feel their feelings and acknowledge what they've been through 
that they have to that they feel so helpless and powerless that they feel the need to like they have to control someone else Mm -hmm. and like that gives them some sick pleasure over the things that they refuse to deal with and like they so that they don't have to acknowledge it and then what the other person has to suffer through right it just blows my mind right it is it's mind-blowing and like I always say most people are in therapy because of someone in their life yeah, yeah, who refused to go to therapy. And that's kind of like that generational trauma that you were talking about, you know, it just yeah. gets passed down more and more. And I mean, anybody who has been physically abused or repeatedly sexually abused will tell you that they were also emotionally mm-hmm. abused. Kind of goes uh, hand in hand. Yeah. 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 Definitely goes hand in hand. There's actually a show on Netflix called Made. It definitely characterizes emotional abuse. And I would highly recommend if you kind of want to learn to anyone who wants to learn more about what emotional abuse is and what it can look like. And in that case, a lot of it was um, instilling fear, coming close to hitting, but not hitting, making it hard for the person to leave the relationship because of control, definitely like threatening retaliation, instilling fear. And in that show, one of the characters was talking about physical abuse versus emotional abuse and she said before they bite they bark mm-hmm. and a lot of times if somebody is emotionally abusive they will turn to physical violence yeah you know because it can only go to so far it's like they get to a certain point where that's not enough for them and then they have to lash out and physically like get it out of their system onto someone else right right it's like that sick pleasure mm-hmm. you know, that they they need this, they need something. And, you know, a lot of those people were emotionally abused themselves. And it's really hard to come out of emotional abuse scot-free, even though it's not the person's fault. And it's not fair that they're the ones that have to pay the consequences, especially if, you know, the emotional abuser gets off scot-free, you know, that's the worst. It's like, this person has ruined my life and they don't even remember doing it, or they don't even think about me or they won't admit that they've done it, which is a lot of parents are like that. Yeah. Uh, they're embarrassed or ashamed or absolutely. whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No parent wants to admit that they emotionally abuse their child, of course, but it damages our minds, also our bodies. Of course, the body keeps the score mm-hmm. and emotional abuse that occurs for a long time. It damages the hippocampus, which is the part of our brain that is in charge of learning and memory and things like that. I've never dealt with memory problems as a result of abuse, but I have had clients who have, and that's kind of the worst because if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, you're most likely already getting gaslighted or gaslit. So (laughs) somebody who is telling you that this isn't happening, you know, that your memory is false. It's all in your head. Yeah. Right, Right. Exactly. And then they actually do have memory problems. And that's when people really start to question themselves. Like, was I abused? Am I being abused? Do I remember that right? Is this really as bad as I'm making it out to be? Yeah. Am I being dramatic? That's a Mm. big thing I'm asked all the time. Am I being dramatic? No. (laughs) No, especially when it comes to emotional abuse or abuse of any kind, you are not being dramatic ever. Yeah, but there's... 
there's a lot of physical repercussions of it. The emotional abuse also kind of floods the brain with adrenaline and cortisol pretty much every time it happens. And emotional abuse is able to occur, I would say, more than physical abuse is just because it's so much easier to get away with. It's, you know, somebody's norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can emotionally abuse somebody all day. Um, and that's a lot of people's reality, but, um, yeah, kind of all that cortisol and adrenaline causes damage to the nervous system. Um, so people who have been emotionally abused are likely to have dysregulated nervous systems, which often results in them kind of going into their survival mode every Mm -hmm. time that they're triggered and kind of just always being on the defense. So our survival modes are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And I personally used to be freeze. Hmm. And then as I got older, it became fawn. Not really sure why that happened. I assumed that kind of my unconscious brain just thought that it was, I don't know, a mechanism that served me more. But yeah, that's why a lot of times if you know somebody who has been emotionally abused, they may shut down really easily or they may seem like they're super defensive and always starting fights or they might run away from a situation or use something to escape the situation or their emotions like alcohol or they might fawn which means they're a people pleaser they're constantly trying to please others because they don't want to be emotionally abused again they don't want to deal with the rejection with the insults with the humiliation and everything that comes with it It's just so unfortunate because it's such a huge problem within our society, honestly, within our world at large, the fact that people treat people so poorly and then they don't realize the insane amount of damage that it's causing to everyone, like literally every single person. Right. So earlier you mentioned that one of the techniques, one of the tools that people can start to utilize if they want to break free of this cycle is they can write down and actually start to retrace their steps from their unconscious mind, which again, can be really, really difficult. Um, and also to watch that, that show made, but I also saw on your Instagram on your, not your website, but your, where you have all your links Mm -hmm. that you had some journals Mm -hmm. and some physical resources. Cause I think having things that are already kind of pre-set up for people to kind of walk themselves through versus just like having someone sit down with a blank sheet of paper can be helpful. Are there specific journals that you have or like things that people can fill out that would help them begin this process? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I do have my 30-day mental health journal that is on my link tree and that definitely helps. A lot of it is about self-concept. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of about what you believe about yourself and they're more existential questions. So they kind of dig pretty deep. Um, I also am working on a masterclass for kind of challenging those internalized beliefs and getting out of emotional abuse and kind of how to deal with the effects of emotional Mm -hmm. abuse which you had mentioned attachment styles before, and that's Mm -hmm. a huge one. A lot of emotional abuse, regardless of if it was done, you know, by a parent or a partner or friend, 
they create some sort of attachment style. And for the most part, they're not secure attachment styles, you know, um, they're usually anxious or they're avoidant. Um, so recognizing that and working through that is a big part of it. Also creating boundaries, especially for kids, because like we had said, they don't have as much autonomy as adults. They can't just leave a relationship if their parent is emotionally abusing them. So kind of how to create boundaries, how to approach emotional abuse, especially with a parent, which is really intimidating and really hard. And not all parents are going to be receptive to it, mm -hmm. but how you can make sure that it doesn't break you, essentially. It's always going to impact you, but so it doesn't break you into adulthood. I'm so glad that you have these resources for people and are out there putting this information onto the internet and sharing it with others and working on this masterclass. Because again, this is something that it's not, not overlooked. Like this is something that people battle and struggle with and experience every single day, but it's such a touchy, uncomfortable, triggering subject that if someone is in a situation that's emotionally abusive or physically abusive, it's hard for them to step outside and want to educate themselves and learn more about the situation because they might not even realize they're in that situation or it's just too much for right. them. So having you kind of put it out there for people to kind of just see and experience bit by bit is so important. And I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing, especially in schools. Because again, I can't stress enough just how incredibly important that is. So yeah. thank, thank you, you for coming on and sharing all this information and talking mm -hmm. with me and opening up about even your own experience. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate what you're doing and, you know, how you're highlighting that everybody's story matters and sitting with them like this definitely feels like a safe space and you're a great active listener and <laughs> I think that yeah what you're doing is just so important thank you I like when two forces come together yeah. we're trying to help the world <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> one little conversation at a time I mean they can really make a difference, kind of like the conversations that you're having with the kids, like that can truly save a life and mm -hmm. educate them to help save other people. And then like conversations like these that someone may tune into and be like, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't know yeah. I needed this information. Now I have it. Well, thank you for saying that. I really yeah. appreciate it. So yeah. if the listeners yeah. want to um, find you or follow along or reach out to you for any questions or to book an appointment, where can they find you? So um, I'm on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, I do things on both. I would say that most of my psychoeducational videos are on TikTok and it's at the feeling theory. Um, and yeah. Well, thank you again. It was a pleasure thank having you, you on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, same here. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering. <laughs>